Lord Jesus, these are hard words. This is a, a, some hard sayings, Lord, uh, from Christ. And, and uh, Lord, I, I just pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord, to receive them, to understand them, Lord, to understand your, your intentions for marriage, Lord, and how divorce is, is, is part of the brokenness and fallenness of the world and, and, and the hardness of human hearts, Lord. I pray today for, for those who have maybe uh, experienced a divorce, Lord. I pray for your grace in their lives. I, I pray, Lord, that they would find their hope in, in you, Lord. I pray for all marriages, Lord, to be protected, Lord. To figure out what your intentions are for marriage and, and live by them, Lord. I, I just pray that this is, is hope-filled, grace-filled, gospel-filled today as we, as we look at this, Lord. I know this is, a, this is difficult for, for some, Lord, and for all of us, Lord. So uh, just be with us, Lord. Send your spirit. In uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So uh, I want to share with you guys a little story to kind of illustrate what's going on here in this text. Uh, have you guys ever been driving and you, you see the bale of hay and you play the joke, right? And you say, hey, right? And the person looks like, oh, what's going on, right? Was there something cool? And, you're, and they're like, what? What's going on? No, hey. And they're like, oh, whatever, right? It's just a silly little little joke to try to uh, play on words to get the person to look, get excited, and, and then be like, oh, it's just, hey, right? Well, we, we did this with our kids, you know, messing around with our kids while we're driving on the freeway. And now, every time Sophia, my, my middle daughter who's four years old, sees hey, she's like, hey, dad, hey, look, hey. And she, so she's excited now over hey, right? Totally over her head. She totally missed the point. She missed the whole point on the joke. And, and, and so that's a silly thing to miss the point on. The, what we're seeing in this text is the Pharisees are missing the point on marriage. They're missing the point on marriage, right? And so that's what Jesus is dealing with is, is, them, is they're looking for loopholes, ways to get out of marriage, right? They're looking for loopholes for divorce. And so what Jesus does here is there's three things that I'm going to talk about. We're going to talk about the divorce controversy that was going on in that day. We're going to talk about that divorce is a, a concession and not God's intention. And we're going to see God's intention for marriage. And, and that's what this text is primarily about. Jesus restating what God's intention for marriage is, right? So let's, let's look at this. So in, in verse 2, we see that the Pharisees, they come to Jesus, they come to, to test him. Now, this is not a, a test to come learn from him, to humbly submit to his, his leadership. This is opposition. This is, they've had continual opposition towards Jesus. Now, the, the test might have been to... To, have, to gain some ammunition against Jesus with Herod. If you know about King Herod, he, he was the king of the day here in Israel, and he had taken his brother's wife. So he stole his brother's wife, Herodias, divorced his old wife, and, 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 and had this you know, sinful bond. And, and John the Baptist, when he confronts them about this, this sinful divorce and remarriage, 
uh, John the Baptist is locked up. He's put in prison. And Herodias actually is the one that plots uh, John the Baptist's eventual beheading, right? His death over standing up against their sinful union. So this could have been possible ammunition to throw at, uh, throw, to use against Jesus on this topic. Uh, another, uh, probably the most probable reason that they're bringing this up is, is because of, uh, of, to get Jesus to pick a side between a, a liberal view on, on divorce and a conservative view on divorce, which there was, there was much debate in, in this day on, on divorce. And so the, uh, the controversy was in Deuteronomy 24. You might want to look at it with me. Open it up to Deuteronomy. It's in front of your Bible. We'll just read this really quick. Right, and so by getting Jesus to take a side, you know, to cause division and, and controversy, uh, it, that may have been part of their intention. So in Deuteronomy 24.1, I'm just going to read verse 1. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Right? So we'll stop there. And what, what, what God did through Moses is provide a concession for divorce. It wasn't God's intention. It wasn't. Uh, uh, an easy way out. It, w- it, was, it was because of sin and, and fallenness in the world. And so uh, when they see, well, now when they see this text, the question they're asking is, what does something indecent mean, right? What does it mean uh, to find some indecency in her? Now the conservatives of this day w- would argue that it was only for gross sexual immorality, right? For adultery, for cheating. She She's running around, or he or she has, has, has run off of the marriage, is sleeping with other people, is unrepentant, and only in that case is divorce allowed, right? Only the most severe circumstances. Even though it's not what God had desired, he had, he had allowed this concession, right? Now, the liberals taught that it meant anything that displeased them, right? Anything that uh, didn't make them happy. They, they viewed, viewed marriage as for their pleasure and convenience. And so when it was no longer pleasurable or, or convenience, they would get a divorce really easy, right? When she was, maybe she wasn't attractive or anymore or she couldn't have kids or, or she couldn't cook. I mean, whatever, as small as little something like that, they, they could divorce. And, and so surprisingly... This was kind of shocking to me as I was studying this. This is where the Pharisees stand. The Pharisees are in the liberal camp. The Pharisees want easy, no-fault divorce. Matthew 19 supports that idea. In Matthew 19.3, they, they add, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Right? For any reason. That's what indecency means. Any old reason. And so the, the most legalistic, moral people want loopholes for divorce. The easier the divorce, the better, is their view. And that's because legalistic people look for loopholes rather than God's intention. 
Legalistic people look for loopholes rather than love, right? Legalism ruins relationships. Legalistic people look for, for loopholes to get out of laws that they can't keep. And that's exactly what these, these Pharisees are doing. Their attitude is like a person who, who borrows money from a, a close and trusted family member or friend with no intentions to pay it back. That's how the Pharisees are. And so this is exactly the same thing in, in America that we have is what's called no-fault divorce. Right? No-fault divorce means that no one has to be at fault. You just go file the paperwork and, uh, you know, check some boxes and you can be, and sign some paperwork and you can be divorced, right? There doesn't have to be any, any uh, wrongdoing in the divorce. You can get divorced for any reason. It's because in America, people view marriage for Pleasure and convenience, just like the Pharisees did. Just like the Pharisees. It's often uh, easy to think like the things that are going on in this day are like new, right? That they've never happened before. And all we see is that everything that's happening today, there's nothing new under the sun. That's what uh, it says in Ecclesiastes, right? These No, uh, no temptation is, is not common, right? Temptation is common to man. These Everything that's going on today has been going on from the, from the beginning, right? This rebellion and sin. And, uh, and, and the same is with divorce, right? They view, and in our, so in our culture, we view marriage as something disposable, like a, a disposable product to be thrown out. And you'll hear people say things like, right, she doesn't make me happy anymore. He or she doesn't make me happy anymore, right? Life's about pleasure and convenience. It's about being happy. Uh, uh, we fell out of love. That, that's our culture's view of, of, of marriage. And so Jesus, and, and, so, and so the scripture is trying to reveal that. All right. So we're going to see that the second thing is that divorce is a concession and not God's intention. All right. It's allowed, but it's never God's intention. And that's what he means in Mark 10.5. If you look at Mark 10.5, it says that this was allowed because of your hardness of heart, right? He wrote this command because of the hardness of your heart. Deuteronomy wasn't a, a, a loophole to get out of marriage, right? It wasn't an excuse. It wasn't permission from God. It was given because of sin and the brokenness of the world and, and selfish hearts, idolatrous hearts. And so it wasn't to make, e make it easy and so that you could now feel good about your divorce because I gave a certificate. And, and some people might call it a biblical divorce, but I'd argue that there's no such thing because divorce is never God's intention. There is no biblical divorce. It, it's only a result of our hard hearts, right? The brokenness of this world. And, and so this, uh, you have to understand this concession. You have to understand that this is not, just because it's there in the scripture, it's not what God intended, all right? So uh, an illustration of this is, uh, imagine yourself, you go hiking, Right, you go up on a on a mountain, off in an isolated place. You go by yourself, and a, and a rock slide happens. 
right? A huge rock falls on your leg in your tracks. I even think there's a, a movie like this. Uh, and, and so uh, you're trapped up there. You have two choices, right? Your choices are to, to stay stuck here and hope someone comes along and, and possibly, you know, get stuck there overnight and be exposed to the heat of day, maybe the cold of night, wild animals, and, and possibly die. Your other option is to chop off your leg and try to crawl for help, right? You got two horrible options. Now, what would you, you know, we'd all have to pick. Which one would we choose? The lesser of two evils probably is chop your leg off and and try to get out of there, right? And so you have to see that that's what divorce is like. Divorce is the lesser of two evils. That's not something to to celebrate. It's not something to, a a loophole, right? Chopping your leg off isn't a loophole. It's not something to be uh, happy about. It's something, it's the, le- you got to think, lesser of two evils. It's something bad. It, it, it's something that's horrible. It's horrible to think about that idea of sawing a leg off. And so Deuteronomy 24 was really given to discourage hasty divorces, right? It was d- given to, so that the man couldn't just ditch his wife off on the curb, right? And just kick her out of the house and, uh, like a dog. Right? And he now had to have some accountability and had to go present a certificate and had to talk to someone about this. That's what it was given for. It was to safeguard the rights for a woman in a patriarchal culture where women didn't have many rights. Right? So they, because in the, in the act of divorce, they, they would po- most possibly end up in extreme poverty in this culture that Jesus is talking about. So, so that might bring you to be asking the question in your head, well, what are the concessions for divorce, right? When is divorce allowed? When is it okay? And so I'm not going to give those today, right? It's tempting to want to start talking about those things, but Jesus doesn't talk about those things in this text. He gives zero concessions for divorce especially to these people who are, who are looking for easy, easy out and easy loopholes. Jesus refuses to give them any, right? He doesn't want to give them a, an excuse for their divorce. And so if you're interested in that, there's uh, information. You can go look on our, our website uh, under membership. There are membership packets there, and you can see Redemption's view on, on divorce and remarriage. And, and, but... I'm just not going to get into that because that's not what this text is about. So uh, I think there's also, you know, just the fact that some people might have difficult marriages here, right? Maybe some, someone might be contemplating divorce or, or just struggling in marriage. And so I just, my advice to you is if, if you're asking those questions and wondering to, to get counsel, don't try to deal with it on your own, right? Come, come talk to us. We, we would love to to talk to you and help you and pray through this, right? Before, before you even get to that, even thinking about that, there must be much prayer and repentance and confession and, and forgiveness and seeking the Lord. And in this text, there, there's another thing that happens. We see that Jesus not only gives no concessions for divorce in this text, 
Jesus even ups the ante against divorce. All right. If you, verses 10 through 12, we see Jesus upping the ante. He, he talks about if a man or a woman leaves their spouse and, and remarries, he's basically saying that you sin against your new spouse. You commit, uh, you sin against them, right? And in other texts, there's a concession there, but Jesus doesn't give it in this part, right? And I think that's because Jesus is upping the ante. And so this idea of upping the ante, uh, uh, again, uh, with the law is what Jesus does often in the New Testament. So if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard it was said, but I say to you, right? And so he says, you, you've heard it was said that you shouldn't commit murder, but I say to you, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've, you've committed murder in your heart, right? Jesus ups the ante. He says, you've heard it was said, do not commit adultery. And then he says, but if you if you even look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery. Right? The New Testament ups the ante on, on giving. The Old Testament gave us a, a tithe system. The New Testament says it all belongs to God. Right? So there's always this upping the ante, and I think that that's what Jesus is doing here. He just he, he wants to make it harder, not easier for divorce. And I think it's because, and I think Jesus upped the ante with the law because he really wants us to see our, our sin and our need for a Savior, right? He wants us to see that we can't keep the law. We can't keep the rules, that we, we, we need to come to him for, for his grace and, and his mercy and the Holy Spirit to, to help us and guide us through life, right? It's to bring us into to submission to him. So, so someone reading this text, and, and there's no concessions for divorce, might hit their knees and, and cry out to Jesus for help. And I think that's what he's doing. Now I want to spend most of the time talking about God's intention for marriage. God's intention for marriage. I want to reread this, starting in Mark 10, verse 6. It says here, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So I got five things. All right. The first thing that we see is that God is the creator of marriage. God wrote the definition on what marriage is. Right? And what you look at this text and you see clearly that's male and female, right? That marriage is, is created, designed by God to be between a, a man and a woman, right? So there's much, much debate over this, over this idea in our day, right? There's a redefinition of, of marriage that's going on in the world around us. And, and so I would say that homosexual union, you can call it marriage, but God doesn't. God does not call it marriage. Marriage is between a man and the woman, between from the lips of Jesus, the Creator. And, and so that doesn't mean that we, right, we, we can now go out and demean people or, or treat people bad or, or hate or, or look down on people or be like the Pharisees that we talked about last week or thank God I'm not like those people. 
right? Just because we, we disagree with people or people are wrong or, or people are in sin doesn't mean uh, we don't treat them with love. We still love people. We respect them. We, just like, just like uh, if, if you have some friends that are shacked up and living together and they're not married and you don't just go and slam them, throw it in their face every time you talk to them, right? We treat people with love, and we can be friends with people and, and share the love of Jesus Christ with people. So I, I wanted to make sure I make that point, right? You can disagree with people and still love them, and we should. The second thing is that you see that God made them male and female. God created gender. Gender matters. And in our, our day-to-day, we're trying to get rid of gender altogether. Right? Our culture is trying to uh, eliminate the distinction of gender. And, and we're just humans, right? We're not, we don't have to get so caught up in the male, female. We're humans. It is true that we are humans, right? And, and we're equal in the eyes of God. But there is clearly gender distinction that God has made, right? Male and female. And, and so one of the things you'll hear in our day, you'll hear often is, is people try to say, well, gender's how you feel inside, or gender's a, a way of thinking. All right, gender is more than that. There's empirical evidence on your body of your gender, right? Clear, obvious things, right? And there, there's empirical evidence in, in your genetics, in your chromosomes, that God made us male and female. And, and, and marriage is for male and female. So gender is God-ordained, and no matter, no matter of uh, uh, hormones or no surgeries can change that, what God has, has made and what God has created. And so we, we live in a day where we're going to increasingly have to just deal with these issues and, and learn how to love people and not judge them and, and, and share the truth of, of Christ with them. You know, it's going to be a growing, growing thing. And, and, and we're going to be viewed as, as closed-minded and bigots and, uh, for having these views. And, and it's an opportunity for us to, to suffer for righteousness, to share truth and love to people, right? To shine the light of Christ <clears throat> in our marriages. The third thing we see here is that marriage is the most important relationship. Right? It, it says here that the man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And, and, and so we must be careful right, to keep our marriage relationship as the most important relationship that we have. It's to be guarded. Right? It's to be cherished. It's to be cared for. Right? We, and, we, and I think the warning here is to be careful not to put your parents in the middle of your marriage and create division right? You guys work together. You don't need to get your, your parents in the middle of, of conflict or, or put your parents' as priority over, over your own marriage. And, and I, I think the idea is also here that just like most people, right, the, mo- most people would say, man, no matter what they do, they're still your parents, right? You still love your parents, right? Mo- there's that common saying where right, you don't just ditch your parents. And so I think the idea is here, just like you don't ditch your parents, you don't, you don't just ditch a spouse in divorce. 
The fourth here, it says here that God has joined the marriage together. And man is not supposed to tear it apart. What God has joined together, man is not supposed to tear apart. So this shows us that God is actually the one who brings marriage together. God is sovereign over marriage, right? He ordains marriages. That's what it's saying, right? God who is sovereign over all things, right? The one who numbers every hair on your head, who knows every leaf on every tree or every, uh, every grain of sand on the beach, right? That God, that powerful, great and powerful God ordains marriages. And marriage, the, the primary, what God does in marriage is it's a means to, to transform us. It's a means to, to sanctify us. It's a means to conform us to His image and likeness, even in difficult marriage, even in difficulty, right? God ordains difficult people, difficult circumstances, trials, suffering, right? God puts two sinners together in marriage to sanctify us, right? So when, when it gets hard, the temptation is to, to run, to get out. Right, just to hit the eject button, right? To find the path of least resistance, and so, and so, marriage can get very difficult, right, for everyone, and and we can't run, we can't escape because God's got a plan in the midst of that, right? God's going to use it to to transform us, you know. God, God is going to use it to to make us surrender to Him, to make us have to to trust Him. And his resources. And you got to know that in the midst of all that, even if you're in a very difficult marriage, very difficult situation, that, that God works out all things for the good, for those who love him and are, are called according to his purpose. And so even if you're in a difficult marriage, if you're having, maybe you're having a difficult season, you have to know that, that God's allowed that, right? And that God's using it for your good to, to transform you, to make you trust in him, to make you depend on His resources, right? The Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God. And we can't just tear it apart, right? A hasty divorce could be missing a, a great opportunity to see God work in your life, in your spouse's life. And again, I, I say if, if you're dealing with difficulty in your marriage, don't, don't hide. Don't try to do it on your own. Right? You have resources. You have help. Right? We want to be there for you. Right? The last thing we see is that the two become one flesh. This is the most profound thing about marriage is that the two become one flesh. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me, please. Turn to that. I got to... What we see is here in Ephesians 5, this is the clearest picture of God's intentions for marriage and the gospel. Ephesians 5.28 says, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. 
This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Right? So if we're one body, one flesh, it tells us that men are called to to love their wives like they love their own body. Right? We don't hate our own body. We we care for it. We we feed our own body. And so men are called to provide and and love and nourish our our spouses here. Right? And this idea of, of this one flesh gives us a picture of divorce being like but by mutilation. Right? Divorce is like mutilation. It's like tearing something apart, tearing your body apart. Right? It's a, that's why that illustration of of having to chop off your leg, that's a picture of divorce. It's mutilation. It's something that is horrible because we're one body. We're one flesh. And we're called to, to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Right? How did Christ love the church? Well, he humbled himself. Right? He took on flesh. He came not to be served but to serve. He gave his life for the church. He didn't abandon the church. And his love was was unconditional, right? It wasn't based on us doing better or trying harder. His love was unconditional. And that's how we're supposed to love our wives, right? To humble ourselves, to serve, to lay down our lives, right? To put them first, to lead them, to be committed to them. And it's to be unconditional, right? Unconditional. Men are called to continue loving and sacrificing, giving their lives away, even when it's not reciprocal, right? If you're married to, to uh, you're in a bad situation, men are just called to keep loving. Keep loving like Christ. And we also see that marriage is a picture of the gospel. Right, verse 32 tells us this is a profound mystery of Christ and the church. Right? The church is the bride. Christ is the groom. Right? There's these parallels uh, of marriage in the, in the gospel of Christ Jesus. And we see that when, when wives respectfully submit to their husbands, it's a, it's a picture of the gospel. Right? It's a picture of how the church submits to, to Jesus Christ. And when husbands lovingly and, and, and sacrificially uh, lay down their lives for their wives, it's a picture of the sacrificial love of, of Jesus Christ. And this oneness in marriage is a picture of that unbreakable bond that we have with Christ that cannot be separated. Yeah, you can't out God. You can't out God's grace. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's no separation. There's no condemnation in Christ. And so that's what marriage is about. Marriage is about the gospel. Marriage is not about you. right? That's what our culture says. It's about me and my pleasure and convenience. And the gospel and the scripture and Jesus is saying here, marriage is not about you. right? Marriage is about serving another person for the glory of God, right? And when two people do that, 
When two people will lay down their lives for one another, submitting to Christ, doing it for God's glory, having Christ as the center of their marriage, and and they seek to serve one another, that's a recipe for a a great God-glorifying marriage, right? But, But the conflict is, right, we're sinners and we're selfish, right? And we're often more concerned about ourselves and our own pleasure and our own convenience. And, and that's where we're going to have conflict. And so that's where we, we need to repent and, and trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Repent of that. Lay down our lives. And so marriage is for, for God's glory. It's to magnify the love of Christ Jesus to the world. It's to be a, a small picture of Christ's love. To for us. And so the gospel is what we have to hang our hopes on, right? In this, with this, with marriage. We've got to rem- remember that Jesus loved us while we were still sinners, right? Jesus, Jesus lays down his life for sinners like me and you. And Jesus, by grace through faith, unites with us in, a, in an unbreakable bond, stronger than marriage. Right? And the greatest hope is that God will never leave us or forsake us. Right? Jesus won't divorce us. That's the picture of the gospel. And so the gospel is our hope. Right? It's our hope for, for forgiveness if we've been divorced, right? If we pursued a, a selfish divorce, the gospel is our hope. It's our hope for wholeness and forgiveness and restoration. The gospel is our hope for, uh, uh, for those of us who are maybe struggling in marriage right now, right? Struggling with, with selfishness or bitterness and unforgiveness and, and arguing. The gospel is our hope, right? The, the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus the restoration that we can have in Christ Jesus, the redemption that we can have through His blood. Right? He's our hope for having a, a good marriage as we look to Him and, and we imitate Christ Jesus. And He's our hope for, for our, our true satisfaction because the union we have with Christ is a, is a greater union than our, than our marriage union. And whether we're married or single, right, Christ is who completes us, not a marriage. Right? Christ is the one that fills us and satisfies us. And so when we're, we're being filled up by Christ and we're being satisfied by Christ, it enables us to be able to pour out. Pour out, right? Unless you're truly satisfied with Christ, you're satisfied in the gospel, you won't be able to pour into another person, whether your spouse, right? And if you're single, you have something better than marriage already, right? Even though the culture might, might tell you you need another person to be complete. No, we're complete in Christ Jesus and Him alone. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I, I just pray, Lord, uh, I just pray for God-glorifying marriages. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here, Lord, that's just struggling, they're in a difficult season in their marriage, Lord, that they wouldn't seek to to try to do it alone, to trust in their own resources. I pray that they wouldn't seek to, to hide, Lord. To, I know it's easy when, 
when we're going through difficulties in life, to, to look around and think everyone has it all together and we're the only ones going through this, Lord. Help us know that we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Help us seek out counsel. Help us confess our sins to one another. Seek forgiveness. Help us in our, difficult, in our difficulties, Lord, to, to release bitterness to, you know, that we might be harboring, Lord. To break down walls that, that get built up in our marriages, Lord, from, from sin, Lord. Help us look to you in the gospel, Lord Jesus, for hope. Thank you, Lord, that, that uh, even in difficult, difficult situations, marriages, Lord, that, that you're working, that you've even ordained these things, and we have to learn to trust you, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.